Major donors help GOP super PACs out-earn Democrats in 2021. And it's time for our weekly conversation with Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, about news from the local housing market, including a home recently sold that's built on a downtown rooftop. So there is a house built on top of an eight-story building, and you can see what the view around it is, right? I mean, you're sitting in what is a suburban-sized house, 2,500 square feet, but looking at the ninth floor of the buildings all around you and looking from those windows, you can see north at the skyline. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, February 3rd. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Hi there, and welcome to Crane's Daily Just Live, brought to you by Wintrust. I'm your host, Amy Guth, and I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about news of the week from the local housing market. Hello, Dennis. How are you? Good morning, Amy. How are you doing? It is mighty snowy, so I I wish this was one of those weeks where we had lots of, um, hey, this person went and bought a house in a big sunny area, let's look at it kind of pictures. (laughs) Well, maybe that will be what I have next week because of this week's weather. Yeah, right. It'll spark a bunch of interest in warmer climates. All right. Well, nonetheless, lots of things to talk about this week. Let's start with this uh, modernist home in Winnetka. It's going on the market for the first time since 1979. Oh my gosh. This is one of those that just makes my eyes light up. So this is a modernist home in Winnetka. This was built in 1969. Uh, the, uh, The current owners have had it since 1979. If you were to pass it on Old Green Bay Road in Winnetka, you would see something like this. And you would think, eh, whatever. It presents to the street a very low slung sort of a look. But that was intentional because this house just opens up to this probably more than two-story space at the peak. The ceiling, I said, is like a tent. It's angled in one place and sort of billows with a curve in another on the other side. Don Erickson designed these wonderful modern homes. This one is a little unusual. The real estate agent on it, uh, Lou Zuccaro of Baird and Warner, um, is an aficionado of mid-century modern. And he said that this fits into a very specific category, which is mid-mod med, mid-century modern with some Mediterranean thrown in. Mid-mod med. Mid-mod med, yeah. There are the leaded glass windows. There's some very dark paneling. There was a period in this mid-century, or there was an offshoot in this mid-century period where people were bringing in Mediterranean influences. And so that's what you see in this house. You're in the living room, which also has a sunroom on the side. There is light coming from the left side, from the right side, windows on both sides, and from skylights up above. This house is is really remarkable. And that main living space is uh, primarily the living and uh, sitting rooms. But then the dining room, the study, they all sort of open off it without, like they're divided off with walls, but without doors so that it's, it's all one space, but there are some smaller intimate spaces within. Um, and these beams, these dark wood beams, I, I, I may be misspeaking, but I think they're redwood. And then the ceilings are cedar 
Um, you're surrounded with natural materials. There's brick, there's wood, there are the two things I just described. And one of the things Lou Zuccaro said, he's, so he's a real estate agent who focuses on mid-century modern properties, but he also studies this stuff and writes about it. And he said that Don Erickson was somebody who tried whenever possible to avoid drywall. So you don't see any drywall or plaster walls. You see brick, you see wood, or in this case, you see a whole lot of glass there along the side. That's so interesting. I love the use of beams in this house. You can see in the photos there at chicagobusiness.com, these beams that seem like they could have been a wall in another design, but they just serve as just this openness and there's some curve to them. So it doesn't look too stark. It, it looks very natural. I think it's also a really great use of skylights. You can see in these photos that, that you have with the story that the photos were taken in the winter. There's not a bunch of greenery on the trees and yet still a lot of beautiful warm light in the house. Absolutely. And so going back to those beams, they're also dark. And, you know, it could be that one room we saw the, the study has dark walls. It could get really dark in here if it weren't for the fact that the, the ceiling rises so high and has those skylights and is a lighter color. So then the dark beams are more like an accent and they're not, you know, shrouding the place in darkness. Okay, so this house is priced at $1.75 million. Do you feel like, you know, we, we've talked about many um, really contemporary houses in this style that get snatched up really quickly. Will that mid-mod med change that, do you think? Is that still as in demand as the mid-century modern? Or is this maybe uh, not going to fit into that category because it has this other layer of Mediterranean vibe to it? I guess I'll, I'll have to say, let's see. I will yeah. say, as soon as I put this story on Twitter, there were people saying, calling some of the med part of this house tacky, which was a surprise to me. Um, but I think I think it works. And it also is possible. I mean, you can lighten a lot of that. You probably wouldn't set up set to lighting, lightening all those beams because there are so many. But you could lighten these kitchen cabinets, those walls in the, the den, the study. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, so one of the things is this is in an East Winnetka location that is like super sweet. It's I ride my bike past this neighborhood all the time. And some great old houses, much much less um, showy than some parts of Winnetka, but you're both near the lake and near the, the shopping area. There are some other modernist homes nearby. So I think all of those things and the fact that this is a 5,000 square foot house and it has lots of great details like this serpentine garden wall we haven't seen yet uh, and it has five bedrooms, I think... I would expect that a buyer would say, I can work, a buyer who, who doesn't like the, the med part of this house would probably say, I can work with this. But I also think there are probably buyers who would say, I love it as it is. You mentioned Twitter and how people react. I love to watch you tweet stories and just read the comments because people have so many opinions. <laughs> people get real serious in your Twitter comments about like, a detail, even if it's a detail in a photo of like a, a, a photo that was clearly staged by a realtor, like a furniture choice or something, people will go nuts over like this one chair. It's so funny to me. It is. It's, it, it's a fun conversation that can be had on Twitter, but it also sometimes is annoying because people will lay a whole different storyline on top of it. Like, oh, they're probably fleeing Illinois because of taxes, which is something I've covered in other stories. But just because a house is for sale doesn't mean the sellers are, are running from Illinois. Um, so yeah, so there's that aspect, but also the fun 
part you're talking about. Oh, it. I mean, even that though, just to watch the conjecture of like, how did you connect A and B? How did that happen when someone pulls a completely different political angle out of like, why does that blue chair make you think that this person did that? What? <laughs> like, it gets very funny. Exactly. To me. Everybody, if you're not following Dennis on Twitter, I recommend that you do. It is very entertaining for many, many reasons. All right, moving to another house. Let's, uh, this is a condo, in fact, a uh, Gold Coast condo in the Palmolive building. Uh, former Zenith and Carson's executive. Tell me about this place. You know, this is the kind of story I was much more, um, I was writing much more often before the pandemic. Before the pandemic really juiced the housing market, I wrote, you remember, I wrote a lot of stories about this house sold for less than the people bought it for. Here's how much somebody lost. This this is kind of an eye-opener. This is a condo in the Palmolive building, which some people would still remember as the Playboy building, um, converted to condos in the early 2000s. The, uh, it was bought for $4.84 million in 2005. Ten years later, it came on the market for $8.9 million, more than twice what they had paid for it. And I don't know what they did to finish it out. So I don't know if there was more investment than that 4.8. Listed in 2015 for 8.9. Sold this week for th- less than $3.5 million. So sold for more than a million dollars off what they paid for it in 2005 and sold for more than $5.5 million off what they thought they could sell it for. And that's the kind of thing I was writing in like 2018, 2017. Um, I, I do think that part of the reason is that the finishes are a little old here. Um, dark wood and, uh, well, dark wood almost throughout. But I don't think that quite explains it because, uh, I, I mean, that's a big come down. So I think, I think the asking price was very ambitious. But the fact that it sold for less than it went for in 2005 is quite a surprise. Oh, five million off the original asking price is not something you see every day. I feel like that's pretty significant. That would have been a story I would have written more often a couple of years ago. I did write it this time. And, and you know, the Palmolive, I mean, it's it's just off Michigan Avenue. It faces Michigan Avenue, but your address is on Delaware. And um, beautiful, beautiful spaces. And this one, obviously, I mean, look at this dining room. You're very unlikely to keep it looking that way. Um, but that that's quite a low price. And so the selling agent didn't want to talk. I couldn't reach the seller, and we'll talk about him in a second. But the buying agent, all her comment was, was, well, my buyers came along at the right time. You know, to get a place that for more than a million dollars off what, what it went for in 2005. And the seller is um, Peter Wilmot, who uh, is now in his 80s. But in, in the 80s, he ran, let's see, let me make sure I get my dates right. From 83 to 89, he ran Carson, Perry, and Scott. And then from 96 to 98, he ran Zenith, two big Chicago companies. That, of course, is a couple decades ago. Uh, and I don't know where he lives now. I wasn't able to reach him, but he took a loss on this one. Certainly, certainly. All right, let's move to another condo building, a building in Lakeshore East that is uh, opening in March. It has some very unusual amenities for residents. Tell me about this place. It does. So the building is Cirrus, and um, to be clear, it's a it's a condo building. It's in Lakeshore East, but you face out over Lakeshore Drive. And so almost anybody who has uh, driven down Lakeshore Drive recently, there where Lakeshore East is, you see these new towers that are filling really that last gap there. Um, 
Cirrus is a condo building. There's also next to it a, an apartment building, Cascade. They have beneath them a giant pedestal with an amenity floor, and this room is in the amenity floor that they both use. This is a jam room. This is, um, you can see from this photo, it's fitted out with uh, musical instruments. It is going to be fitted out with podcasting equipment. That hasn't arrived yet. But the idea is, you know, you, you're, you're in a condo. You really shouldn't be playing music loud and bothering your neighbors. So go down to the basement. I mean, as somebody might say to their kids, go to the basement and play. And I don't know if you saw this, Amy, but um, in the story, but I spoke to a man who, with his wife, is moving back to Chicago. They grew up in Munster, Indiana. They're moving back to the area from Nashville. He's he's a pharmaceutical executive, but he has been uh, he's been a drummer all his life. They have a house in Nashville where he can play music. But he thought when they moved back here, well, I guess I'll like rent a storage garage so that I don't bother my condo neighbors but no he's going to play in there and he has two buddies he played with uh who still live here and so he said jake and elwood style we're getting the band back together um right there in that basement which is kind of cool i mean it's it's a nice idea you know you so you could record your podcast there you could jam music there's room for an audience and then when you're done you can take the kids to play in this splash pad room which is um, it? So it's that's actually uh, quite a, quite a distance down the hall from the room we were just in. But it's where it's in what you'd think of as the swimming pool complex. There's a swimming pool. There's a big spa, and then there's this room. The color. This is a still photo, but I shot video. The colors change. There are all these different fountains. Your kids, your grandkids, could go in there and just goof off in the water. Um, I think I said in the story, it's like the splash pad at um, the at Millennium Park at the Crown Fountain at Millennium Park, but it's indoors, so you could use it year round or your kids could use it year round. Plus for kids, it's like all these bright colors and this water of different colors shooting up from the ground. And it just, that would just be a fun place to play if you're a kid. Oh, totally. And in the middle of winter when there's really nowhere to go and run around. And so I walked around this building with the developer um, who was talking about how, you know, say you're a, per a, a person who's an empty nester moving in from the suburbs and you want your grandkids to come and visit, here's a great incentive. If we go see grandma and grandpa, <laughs> we could play in the splash pool. You know, we don't have that at and home. And play drums and all this stuff. Yeah. Totally, yeah, and play drums, yeah. Or watch grandpa play drums. I think that's a really interesting amenity idea. As somebody who lives in a very old building with thin walls, I used to, the person below me, it used to be someone who was in a band and he practiced his band and sometimes that was kind of cool to hear but mostly it was not cool and <laughs> it was like kind of a kind of loud and annoying because it was weird hours and it was you know but also i was trying to record when he would be jamming out so it was like uh, it was always kind of tricky problem solved now i suppose it would get tricky in the jam room if like your jazz piano player is down there to practice and your death metal drummer is down there to practice at the same time. <laughs> you might have some competing stuff. A new hybrid music style might come out of that. You're either in a fight or you release an album. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. Or both, but you can reserve the room. You know, like a lot of amenities, you can reserve it. And I should mention, I said that it's far down the hall from this. Um, it also, it's set away 
uh, it, it, though it's on that amenity floor, it's set far enough away from others that you're not going to have, you know, people are like gathering to watch a football game or whatever in one of the lounges. You're not going to be bothering them. And up above it is a deck. So the sound isn't going to go, isn't going to transfer up to a condo above you. Um, yeah, I think it's a fun idea. And, and you know, um, it, it's just a room full of musical instruments and sound equipment and stuff. If If nobody's jamming in there, it could become a yoga room or something five years from now. But it's a, I think it's a really fun idea. And as far as I know, the only one at this scale in the city, there is, the same developer has one in a rental building in the South Loop um, where it's really just a music listening place. It's not a music performing place. Um, here, I mean, this is set up for you to come down and jam and bring your friends to watch you jam. That's a really fun idea. All right, let's move to another place. This is a house built on top of a roof in Printer's Row. I was not aware that this even existed. I didn't know there was a house on top of a roof in Printer's Row. So in the 1970s and 80s, when Printer's Row was really downtrodden and a lot of the buildings were vacant, several architects led by Harry Weiss, a very famous architect, were going in and rehabbing them. And they rehabbed this eight-story building, the Row building, which is what you see sort of below this house. They rehabbed this building floor by floor. And then almost a decade later, one architect said, well, hey, you know what? There's a shed on the roof. And so they bought the roof and the roof right, the, the roof and the roof rights and the shed, and they expanded it into this 2,500 square foot house. So there is a house built on top of an eight story building. And you can see what the view around it is, right? I mean, you're sitting in what is a suburban sized house, 2,500 square feet. And but looking at the ninth floor of the buildings all around you and looking from those windows, you can see north at the skyline. Um, it's a pretty amazing thing. The, so I mentioned that most of the building was rehabbed at one point and this was done at another. That leads to one problem with this property, which is you take the elevator to the eighth floor and then you walk up a flight of stairs to the ninth. And that's sort of inconvenient. That may have slowed down the sale. It was on the market for a very long time. And it actually, let's see, the, so the sellers sold it at a loss. They bought it in 2017 for 875000 they listed it in 2020 for 25,000 less for 850 and they just sold it for 585,000 they lost almost 300,000 in the uh in the transaction and so i spoke to them when it came on the market and uh, so it it you know it was done in the 80s it has its issues one of them is um, the windows that face north that see the skyline in some cases are really small. Another is, though they have the roof rights, they never really put up safety railings. So if you go out on the roof, it would be very easy just to fall right over the bumpers. So uh, the couple who bought it were going to do a rehab that included putting up new railings. Um, safety railings on all sides and opening up the windows so that in the house you'd be looking, you'd just be bathed in skyline views. They never moved in. They moved to Hyde Park. They had come from the West Coast. She took a job in Hyde Park. And before they started, he, he's an architect who designed the rehab of this. But before they started the work, she took another job back on the West Coast. So they never moved in. Um, and they also didn't do the rehab. One thing I was not able to determine is whether his plans for the rehab were sold with the property. Because when it sold, especially because it sold for so much less, neither neither the agent for the buyer, the, the agent for the seller would respond. Oh, and I emailed the sellers. Nobody responded. So 
you might be starting at zero again. You might have to have another architect draw up plans. Um, but you've got a 2,500 square foot, two-story house on top of an eight-story building. It's super interesting because you kind of get the best of both worlds then. You have a house, you have that kind of sense of privacy, and yet you're right in the middle of the city and you have these beautiful skyline views. It's kind of a win-win. And you essentially have two yards, you know, the, so the house is sort of a T-shape. And in the arms of that T are your, your left and right yard, or your left and right yards, and they both look north of the skyline. I do think there, there is a problem with the fact, I mean, especially if you've got kids, if you've got to go up an elevator and then a flight of stairs, that's a little bit of a challenge. But, you know, I'd take that challenge. Sure. <laughs> Although I feel bad for the movers, whoever moves you in. Oh, yeah. That's a rough moving day to get all your stuff up the elevator and then haul it upstairs. Yes. I hope the people who bought this are big tippers. I know. Right. Right. Tip generously. Imagine your, your Grubhub delivery. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the old, I will meet you in the lobby. <laughs> like, don't, yeah, that's don't send them upstairs. Um, but, you know, I mean, that, that's kind of an interesting idea if you get the railing done and you could fin finish out that yard with some green space. We've seen that on other kind of rooftop spaces. I think that would be kind of interesting. There is, in fact, another one in Printer's Row that has a yard on the roof. It's it's much farther down. It's a second story rooftop or maybe third story rooftop garden. But, yeah, can you imagine having, um, it, you know, maybe instead of grass, you have AstroTurf, but plantings all around there. And you've got this sort of garden and you're looking out across your garden at the downtown skyline. I think whoever, I don't yet know who bought it. I will be paying attention. Um, I think whoever got it really found a, well, this is in sort of a literal sense, a diamond in the rough because you need to do some things to it. I'm, I'm pro houses on top of buildings. It seems like a cre very creative use of space. And you know, and somebody on Twitter said, we need more like this and I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, there's all these essentially lots in the city on top of building roofs. It's, I think, very interesting. And I think a lot of buyers would be willing to pay for the uh, benefit of having a house without upstairs neighbors, but feeling like you had kind of that autonomy of a house, but still be downtown. That's just my guess. I am interested in why this took so long. I, th I mean, I think because it needs work, but it went for so much less. They paid, once again, they paid 875 in 2017. And five years later in 2022, it went for 585, almost $300,000 less. That doesn't indicate that there are, as you said, a lot of people who want a living situation like this, but I, I don't know the exact condition of the property today. Well, whoever buys it, answer your email from Dennis, because I, I have questions <laughs> about what you do. Please do. <laughs> All right. Please do. Speaking of rehabs, uh, let's talk about uh, this building in Grand Crossing and what's going on with that. Yeah, a building that really badly needs a rehab. This is called the Cornell Store and Flats. This was built in 1908, designed by Walter Burley Griffin, uh, who was, uh, he was a, a pretty important prairie school architect. And he leaves here with his wife, Marion Mahoney Griffin, who also was an architect to design the capital of Australia. And they later work in India. So they're known around the world. Um, she, he died and she came back here. Um, the Cornell store and flats had a store on the first floor and then four apartments above around an interior courtyard on the second floor. And then they all had stairs up to their own rooftop gardens, which one person told me was probably the first rooftop gardens in Chicago, continuing a theme we've been on today. Um, 
It's so it's on. Let me make sure I say it right because I I think I said it wrong previously. It's at seventy. It's on Seventy Fifth Street at South Chicago Avenue. Um, it's where it's where the name Grand Crossing comes from. Where two major railroad lines crossed. And at the time that it was built in 1908, 75th Street was a, a commercial district. Um, and it, this was built by uh, the by the estate of Paul Cornell, who was a developer who owned huge swaths of the South Side. He had died, but his family created this as, as income property. We're going to put a store, turned out to be a department store, a Fox department store on the first floor. And then these four apartments above Really a wonderful concept and, and a real beautiful prairie facade, which we saw earlier, unique among prairie style buildings, or, or well, I should say rare among prairie style buildings for being mixed use com commercial and residential and unique because it has this, here's your, out, your interior courtyard upstairs, open air courtyard, um, really unusual. So it's it's been in trouble for years. It's been on the endangered lists of both Landmarks Illinois and Preservation Chicago several times. Many people are concerned about its future. In 2015, it was purchased for $175,000 by a construction company or by a legal uh, entity affiliated with a construction company. They're just using the empty land around it for storing trucks. Um, and I reached them for a very brief interview, and they said that um, when they bought it in 2015, they intended to rehab the building. They haven't done anything in the seven years. We don't know how long it has been unoccupied. It, these pictures are from 2014, and it was obviously in bad shape. That's before it was sold. Uh, and the assumption is that it's in worse shape now. So they put it up for sale and um, it went under contract. They would not tell me with whom. They said that they had it was for sale by owner. They had it for sale at about 850,000, which is a multiple of that 175 they paid. And they said they have a contract pending, which is why they wouldn't let me come in because they wanted to wait for the buyer to close. So the question is that preservationists have, will this be good news if it sells? Is somebody planning to rehab this real treasure of Chicago architecture. You can imagine um, the last time this was occupied, one family was living in the apartments. Um, but you could imagine turning it into four apartments again or two. Um, obviously, there's a lot of work to be done. You can see from the pictures. But this would be uh, this could be preservationists say a real showcase project in part because you have this other land around it. So what if somebody built affordable housing on the new site and turned this into affordable housing? And I spoke to a couple of architects, preservationists who all said they would love to see something happen. Of course, we're everybody sort of holding their breath. Maybe the next buyer lets it fester for another seven years, or maybe the next buyer is somebody who really wants to do something grand and will give me a call and say, here's what I'm going to do with the Cornell store and flats. And so are there any any kind of preservation protections on the building or whoever buys it, they can, they have a lot of leeway. I don't remember the exact nature of its protection, but the inside is so far run down that it's very likely you would not get any pushback on changing the inside, changing that facade. Uh, once again, I don't know its exact legal status. I should have checked before we got on here, but um, I, I think a lot of preservationists would push very hard against an attempt to demolish it. One of the problems for the building, people point out, is when it was built, it was at sidewalk level and you, you know, would just walk in and out when shopping. But later, a viaduct was built 
below the railroad tracks that are almost immediately to its west. So it's not at sidewalk level. It's sort of up above the sidewalk level and it's sort of awkward. So what do you do? Um, and there are other challenges to the building as well. But look at that. I mean, it's like a classic prairie style building. Absolutely. Yeah. This will be very interesting to see how this one plays out. All right. Well, Dennis, what is, uh, what's coming up in the week ahead? You know, it's interesting. I realized before I came on here, I'm working both ends of the market. We have the list of the 50 most expensive homes of the year, the last of those year-end data stories coming out. And I'm talking to uh, Marissa Navarro, the commissioner of housing, who has been a very active proponent of the city's affordable housing um, profile. She's been changing, I should say, the city's affordable housing profile very quickly and very aggressively. So we have the most expensive and very inexpensive homes both coming out. Yeah, well, I will look forward to talking about both of those things with you next time. Thanks so much, Dennis. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, Verano, one of Chicago's big cannabis companies, buys into the New York marijuana market. We'll talk about why that's significant and more right after this. How are you and your team selling your firm's professional services? Could you or a colleague benefit from guidance on strategies to win new business and increase revenue for your firm? Attend our upcoming session of Cranes Academy on sales leadership and business development. Cranes will pair our expertise in business training and events with coaches from Growth Play for a full-day interactive, hands-on, intensive session on March 8th. Attendees will also receive one individual coaching support session after the program. Applications are due February 15th. For more information, visit cranesacademy.com. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Super PACs set to help win back Republican majorities in the U.S. House and Senate outpaced Democratic ones at the end of 2021 due to support from major Illinois donors. That according to year-end filings with the Federal Election Commission posted on Monday. Crane's government reporter A.D. Quigg reports that the filings cover July 2021 through the end of the year and expanding on his already growing giving, Citadel founder Ken Griffin gave $10 million to the Congressional Leadership Fund, the super PAC dedicated to winning a Republican majority in the U.S. House at the end of last year. So did Patrick G. Ryan, the founder of insurance giant Aon, who is now chairman of Ryan's Specialty Group. Both were among the PAC's biggest individual donors in 2021. Glenview-based Guarantee Trust Life Insurance also contributed $10 million. Among other major donors, Duchessois Group chairman and CEO Craig Duchessois, who gave $2 million to the CLF, and Elizabeth Uline, president of packaging and office supply company Uline, who contributed a total of $650,000 last year. Griffin and Duchessois also donated to the Senate Leadership Fund, a similar super PAC dedicated to electing Republicans to the U.S. Senate. Griffin gave $5 million and Duchessois $2 million. Chicago-based investor Rockwell Property has sold Ellen Crossing, a more than 1,100-unit property in Glendale Heights, for $137 million, pulling off a complicated turnaround of the property that started nearly a decade ago. In price and in number of units, it is the biggest suburban Chicago apartment deal ever, according to research firm Real Capital Analytics. Rockwell sold Ellen Crossing to a fund managed by Turner Impact Capital, an L.A.-based investment firm that specializes in affordable housing. Turner, which now owns more than 2,800 apartments locally, plans to keep rents at the property within reach of residents who live on limited budgets but who don't qualify for housing subsidies. 
As Crane's commercial real estate reporter Albie Galoon notes, including its roughly $69 million in acquisition costs and nearly $7 million in capital improvements, Rockwell spent roughly $76 million on the property, according to the company. The $137 million sale represents an 80% increase in value. Turner plans to limit rent increases at Ellen Crossing with a broader goal to keep its apartments affordable to those who earn 60% to 100% of the area median income. That according to G. Kim, the company's president of multifamily housing initiatives. Factor, a meal kit delivery service owned by HelloFresh, plans to open a facility in Lake Zurich that will triple its production and distribution capacity. Crane's Ali Marathi reports that the 100,000-square-foot distribution center is expected to be fully operational by Q4 and could employ 700 full- and part-time workers, according to a statement from Factor. Meal kit popularity grew pretty significantly during the pandemic as consumers stayed in and cooked more. Almost two years in, the Omicron variant continues to boost at-home food sales, and Factor's investment is a bet that the trend will keep going. Factor, based in Batavia, makes fully prepared meals that cater to keto, plant-based, and other specialty diets. Founded in 2013 as Factor 75, the company was bought by HelloFresh in late 2020 in a deal that could be worth up to $277 million. Besides its corporate offices in Batavia, Factor has production facilities in Burr Ridge and Aurora and a distribution center in Lyons. Verano, one of Chicago's biggest cannabis companies, is moving into the New York market with a large acquisition. In an all-stock deal valued at $413 million, Verano is buying Goodness Growth Holdings, which has 18 dispensaries, five cultivation centers, and an R&D facility. And the deal gives Verano access to New York, one of the nation's largest potential marijuana markets, which is set to allow recreational marijuana sales next year. Chicago rivals Green Thumb Industries, Cresco Labs, and Pharmacan are already in New York, where acquisitions offer a very key advantage in that only existing medical marijuana license holders can operate both cultivation and retail facilities. Goodness Growth also operates eight dispensaries in Minnesota, which is expanding its medical marijuana program to include smokable products and edibles. As reported by Crane's John Pletz, Verano has 93 dispensaries and 12 cultivation and production facilities in 15 states. With the acquisition, it will add New York, Minnesota, and New Mexico and grow to 17 cultivation facilities and 111 dispensaries. The company estimates the new markets will generate nearly $14 billion in revenue between now and 2026. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of our conversations by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to find your on-demand audio. And please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time. Crane's Audio Studio presents Four Star Stories Bronzeville is that gap between South Loop and Hyde Park And everybody remembers that in between that gap was the projects Was violent crimes Reported by Dennis Rodkin Bronzeville is Chicago's what? This is a green line train in Bronzeville, we like to talk about being unapologetically African-American. 
Once known as the Black Metropolis, Bronzeville is being reshaped by a construction boom that is revitalizing thousands of vacant lots. Home prices have soared to levels that buyers and sellers even less than a decade ago could never have imagined. But some questions remain. Can this be done in a new way without forcing out longtime residents? And can it be done with respect for what's been there, including a deep reservoir of black community and achievement? To create a new Bronzeville that welcomes others, but that is still very clearly the heart of this unique Midwestern black experience. Four Star Stories, Bronzeville in three chapters. Download and follow us wherever you get your podcasts.